Section 22 of the Book of Famous Sieges. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Famous Sieges by Tudor Jenks. The Siege of Gibraltar, 1783. The Great Rock of Gibraltar, one of the ancient pillars of Hercules, that were for ages looked upon as barriers beyond which sailors could not venture save at deadly peril, is connected to Spain by a sandy isthmus which makes the great rock a peninsula guarding the entrance into the Mediterranean Sea. The rock itself has its highest point at the northern end, where it ends in a precipice toward the sandy isthmus. Toward the Mediterranean, too, it presents a cliff-like face, from the northern point, the rock gradually lessens in height towards the south and west. The northern portion is about 1,200 feet high, and the length of the ridge is a mile and a half. Though the western slope is gradual, there are deep ravines and high cliffs making it difficult to ascend, and at the base a level plain is occupied by the town of Gibraltar, being of limestone, the rock is honeycombed with caverns and passages, now and then opening into great rocky halls, but for the most part narrow and winding. These caves are made beautiful by groups of stalagmites and stalactites. Though from a distance the rock seems barren, the country round the rock itself supports much vegetation. The climate is tropical, with a dry summer and a rainy season in winter. Until very recently the water supply was not good, and as a military station the place had a bad reputation, so many of the garrisons suffered from disease. In history the rock appears as a fortress first when it fell into the hands of the Moors. It was the Moors who called it from the name of their leader Tariq, Jebel Tariq, Tariq's Hill. The name became Jebelter and then Gibraltar. The fortress has withstood many sieges. In 1309 the Spanish took it, and after an unsuccessful attack in 1315, it was taken again by the Moors, 18 years later. Two unsuccessful attempts to retake it followed in 1344 and 1349. The sixth siege was between two rival Moors. The seventh was another unsuccessful attack by the Spanish. In 1462 the Christians took it through a Moor's treachery, and then it was taken by a Spanish grandee, whose descendants lost it and then retook it. This makes ten sieges, and an eleventh followed when the Algerian pirates tried but failed to bring the rock once more under Mohammedan rule. The Spanish now greatly strengthened the fortifications, and throughout Europe this stronghold was regarded as impregnable. But in 1704 it surrendered to an attack by an English and Dutch fleet and a body of German soldiers. Sir George Rook, although the attack had been made in the interest of the Austrians, hoisted the English flag over Gibraltar and took possession. The Encyclopedia Britannica declares, It was unprincipled in England to take advantage of this unscrupulous act, and ungrateful to leave the English commander unrewarded. In the autumn of the same year, an attempt was made by the Spaniards to regain the fortress, but they were defeated. Twenty-one years afterward, another Spanish failure was recorded. These failures, 
the last but one of the various attacks and defenses of the great rock help us to understand both the strength of the fortress and also the intense desire of the spaniards to gain possession of it consequently when france and spain found themselves in seventeen seventy nine in alliance against england one of their main objectives was to succeed in driving the british from this gateway to the mediterranean they spared no labor no expense no thought in preparing the grand expedition that would they believed make the taking of the fortress a certainty at that time the english commander general george augustus elliot was sixty-two years of age a skillful and energetic leader and tactician the garrison consisted of about five thousand men five hundred of them belonging to the artillery and engineer corps there were four english and five hanoverian regiments within five days after the declaration of war the spanish force took possession of the neck of land cutting off the fortress from communication with the mainland and their fleet far stronger than the few british vessels in the harbor prevented any communications by sea while the spaniards and french were preparing their serious attack the garrison worked hard to make all ready though it seemed that they might have to surrender before long through lack of food gradually the townspeople escaped one way or another until only the british garrison and their families remained by the beginning of the year seventeen eighty having been cut off from the world for six months the garrison were compelled by famine to subsist largely upon dandelion greens leeks thistles and such roots and herbs as they could gather the hanoverian soldiers rigged up incubators to hatch eggs and everything was done to increase and eke out the food supply but just as they were reduced to the last extremity an english fleet under the great admiral rodney won a decisive victory over the spaniards at cape st vincent capturing the spanish commander it is said that the spanish grandee on being told that the small boy who stood at attention near the gangway was the royal prince who afterward became william the fourth exclaimed well does great britain merit the empire of the sea he was greatly amazed that one of the blood royal should be found serving as a petty officer in the english fleet when rodney arrived in the harbor of gibraltar he was able to land plenty of supplies and also strongly to reinforce the garrison he took away from gibraltar also the useless mouths that is all those not capable of fighting while the british fleet was lying at anchor the spanish endeavored to burn it by means of fire ships but the attack was a failure greatly to the joy of the lookers-on from the garrison above soon afterwards the british fleet sailed away to the west indies by autumn not only had the supplies once more run short but owing to the garrison having been forced to live mainly upon salt provisions they were reduced to a pitiful state by ravages of the scurvy that frightful disease which in modern times science has made almost unknown except where shipwreck or some similar disaster cuts men off from civilization for long periods fortunately the ravages of the scurvy were stayed by the timely capture of a dutch vessel laden with lemons and oranges for the juice of these fruits is a specific for the disease another supply of provisions came to the rock in seventeen eighty one and this was just in time to prepare the garrison against the last great siege which began in may of that year batteries having been placed 
the enemy bombarded the town and the rock for two months succeeding in destroying the town but doing little other damage against these batteries the english could do little but in november of seventeen eighty one they sent out two thousand men elliot himself going with them and captured the batteries nearly a mile away destroying them entirely and blowing up their magazines this however had little effect in checking the bombardment which was kept up so steadily that in an account of the siege it is noted by one of the garrison that from seven o'clock in the morning of may fourth to the same hour the next day no gun was fired it being the first twenty-four hours that had passed for thirteen months without the discharge of cannon continuously meanwhile the island of minorca had been taken by the spanish and emboldened by this victory they brought before gibraltar a force of thirty-three thousand troops with a hundred and seventy cannon hoping to repeat their success with the greater stronghold the commander of these troops de Crillon, prepared for the attack upon gibraltar great floating batteries devised by darson a french engineer which he did his best to make irresistible and indestructible taking ten ships he cut them down to mere hulks timbered them heavily all over to a thickness of seven feet packed the hulls here and there full of wet sand and ran water pipes through their walls he also roofed them with hides upon a heavy framework so steeply pitched that it was believed that all shot and shell would glance from them this will remind american readers of the confederate merrimac these vessels were prepared in the harbor of algeciras and against them the english who probably had learned from spies what was going on resolved to employ red-hot shot in greater numbers than had ever before been used for heating these furnaces were built in the fortress near all the heavy guns de crillon relied upon the fact that his big vessels were made of green timber packed with wet sand and full of water pipes and did not believe they could be set on fire meanwhile at home in england a fleet was preparing for the relief of gibraltar and it was during the preparation of this force that the celebrated catastrophe happened to the royal george which toppled over in dock drowning nearly all of the ship's company cowper's poem on the subject is well known on september twelfth the french and spaniards advanced to the attack with forty-seven ships of the line which carried each three tiers of guns with the ten floating batteries and many small craft beside at the same time there were in their army forty thousand men waiting near a flotilla of covered boats ready to attack them when the fort should be silenced the next day the floating batteries were towed to within twelve hundred yards and by ten o'clock one of the greatest artillery battles in history began some four hundred pieces of cannon being actively engaged a perfect shower of red-hot cannonballs descended upon the spanish forces but apparently everything rebounded from the floating batteries without effect all day and until afternoon both sides showered their shot upon the enemy but at two o'clock suddenly one of the floating batteries was seen to give off great masses of smoke at the same time its fire almost ceased and the british began to hope that at least one of the monsters had been disabled what had happened was this the british red-hot shot had sunk into the green timbers penetrating several feet here they had retained the heat long enough gradually to fire the timbers 
In vain did the Spanish attempt to reach and extinguish the many fires that had been thus started. Their fire slackened, for even the artillerymen were busied in finding and extinguishing the many flames that had sprung up. Meanwhile, night had come on, and the British did not know how destructive their fire had been until a little after midnight, when the Admiral's floating battery, that from which smoke had come, suddenly burst into a mass of flames. This was the beginning of the fires that caused the destruction of the fleet. These battery vessels had been so heavily supplied with ammunition that as they took fire their crews were afraid to remain in them, and when, at five o'clock in the morning, one of them blew up with a tremendous explosion, it was decided to abandon them all. As soon as, by the light of these flaming vessels, it was seen that their fire had ceased, the British sent their own vessels to rescue the Spanish and French crews, and the fighting ceased, while both forces dispatched boats to take up the survivors. The British bravely tried to tow one of the floating batteries to Gibraltar, but hardly had they attached themselves to it when the fire reached the magazine and it was blown to atoms, a proof that the Spaniards were justified in escaping from it. By the next day all had burned. It was not alone the enemy's fleet that suffered, for the British had destroyed also two of the land batteries, and had succeeded in repulsing several desperate attacks at the southern end of Gibraltar, where, under the cover of terrific fire, the Spaniards had tried again and again to land troops. It was estimated that during the engagement four thousand red-hot balls had been shot into the battery ships alone while the Spanish and French had fired against the fortress in twenty-four hours over seven thousand shot and shell. This was the grand effort of the besiegers, and it had completely failed. During nine weeks of active siege, the British lost only sixty-five killed and less than four hundred wounded, while the fortifications were hardly injured by the rain of shot and shell upon them. Though the siege continued for several weeks longer, on October 11th, Lord Howe, the same Howe who had commanded in America, arrived from England with supplies and reinforcements for the garrison, and all hope of taking the place was abandoned. Peace was not made, however, until February of the following year, at which time it was formally agreed that Gibraltar should remain in the hands of the British. From the first blockade to the end of the siege covered a period of three years, seven months, and twelve days, and in all this time the loss of the garrison was only four hundred and seventy men by warfare and about twelve hundred from illness and privation. To contrast with this attack on a seaport, we shall tell briefly the story of the taking of a great land stronghold. This will show how the besiegers, by means of a regular digging of trenches and the regular advance of batteries, gradually got near enough to blow up the fortifications and thus gain an entry for their soldiers. End of section 22